I invite you to turn in your copy of God's perfect and precious word this morning to Romans chapter 8. Pastor David, Judy, and the, and the kids are away uh, seeing some family they haven't seen in, in, in quite some time. So you can pray for them that they will have a refreshing trip with meaningful time with family. Well, we are continuing a series through Romans chapter 8 titled Orphans No More. This chapter that's so rich and beautiful truth, so full of good news promises. This morning we're going to be talking about purpose, not despair. We're going to start in verse 26 and work through verse 30. So I invite you when you find Romans 8.26 to stand in honor of the reading of God's perfect Word. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, All things work together for good for those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask that this morning our hearts would receive and believe Your promises. That our ears would listen to You. That we would cling to the hope that is in You. Lord, shape us this morning. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Same information completely different perspective. It's the same information. Uh, many of you will remember back to your, your time in, in high school biology, whenever you had biology, to that uh, memorable chapter, human reproduction. Nobody could forget that chapter. You had all of those... Uh, like. Graphics, designs, everything like that. And they talked about the development of the baby within the womb. And it was interesting, but it was a science class. A completely different perspective years later when wife tells me, we're pregnant. Wow! There's a baby coming. And we get the book. You know, the book that talks about everything in in the pregnancy. And it describes the development of the baby within the womb. At this week, the baby can do these things. At this week, the baby is the size of a pea, is the size of a peanut, is the size of a plum. Why do they always choose Vegetables and fruits. I don't know, but the, the baby is growing and developing. We're keeping in track with this. It's exciting. There's, 
There's hope. This is not, this is not a, a, a topic in a classroom. This is our family. And then the day comes when we're at the hospital and the baby arrives. I will never forget that day. Such a moment. Okay, I learned this stuff before. Well, this is different. This is personal. This is my baby girl. It's amazing to see. There, There she is. To hold her in my hands. There's a, there's something about the heart involved. This is, this is, my life has changed. It'll never be the same. There's an intimacy. Well, as we come to Romans 8, we come to a, a chapter that's full of relationship. Full of, of personal truths. We read things about no condemnation, no separation between us and God. There's a freedom of the children of God. There's life and peace. God has put His Spirit within us. We're adopted. We call out Abba, Father. There's a a forward-looking hope within these, these personal relationship promises. We're looking forward to a day, a day of glory. There's a revealing of the sons of God that is going to happen. As a result, there's, a, there's an eager longing, some forward eagerness that's communicated. The Bible uses these words, groanings. First, we see uh, creation. The creation itself is, is eagerly longing. And it says that uh, it has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, groaning for this future, future day. And not just the creation, but we ourselves. We ourselves wait eagerly for adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. So we groan inwardly. And then we get to verse 26. And we see that God Himself is groaning for this. Let's let's read it. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. What weakness? We're weak in many ways, but here it's specifically talking about our weakness that He lists that we do not know what to pray for as we ought. Our experience in this world is that there's, we, we're in this tension between we know and we don't know. And there's so much that we don't know. Of, at the top of the list of things that I should know, it would be myself. I should know, I should get that. But I find, if you're like me, you find sometimes we don't even understand our own psychology. We don't even get ourselves fully. I think about my children and uh, I hear crying. Why is he crying? So-and-so pinched his cheek. Okay, so you get the so-and-so. Well, we'll keep it anonymous here. Why did you pinch 
his cheek. I don't know. And she's not just covering up, not wanting to say. She really doesn't know why she did it. And I can identify. Sometimes I don't even know why I do some of the things I do. I don't know why. Why I respond in some of the ways I respond. We don't even get our own psychology. There's so much we don't know. If we thought, uh, uh, who is the most knowledgeable one here in this room right now among us? Maybe uh, we live in a university town. Maybe we have university professors who are paid to impart knowledge, who have graduate students working underneath them doing research, who have published papers advancing their fields. I know we have medical people here who have been through 22 years or so of education, perhaps more. Think about the knowledge of God. If we were to compare His knowledge to all of the water of the oceans, how much knowledge is the the most knowledgeable here in this room? Could we say a droplet? There's so much we don't know. We know that we're supposed to seek first His kingdom, His righteousness. Yet we find ourselves like the crowd um, looking to Jesus for bread and not even really fully getting our needs. But the Father, He, our Father in heaven, He knows what we need before we even pray. And here we find it says the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So creation's groaning looking forward to the future day of glory. We inwardly are groaning looking forward. And God Himself is interceding for us. The Spirit of God interceding for us with wordless groanings. Now, some people have read this and are thinking it's saying that, that God is helping us as we pray to pray with such groanings. And it's not what it's saying. He's saying very clearly, the Spirit Himself intercedes for us. Wow. The, the Spirit of God is emotionally praying to the Father on your behalf. And I don't even think that this is necessarily saying that this is happening when you are actively praying. But the Spirit of God is praying for you to the Father. If it's hard for you to imagine one person within the one God, there is, there's only one God, one person of the Trinity, praying to the Father with an emotional prayer, realize this is not the only time we find this in the Scripture. Think about the Garden of Gethsemane as the Son is praying to the Father and, and sweating drops of blood, praying, if there be any other way, let this pass from Me. But not what I want, but what You want. And here you have someone interceding for us, the very Spirit of God. Do you really believe this? 
Do you really believe that the Spirit of God intercedes for us? I know many of us would say, well, the Bible says that the Spirit intercedes for us. Yeah, but do we, do we believe it? I mean, doesn't this give a jolt to your own passion for your following of Jesus to know that the Spirit of God is interceding for you? Do you see how distant this is? How far away this truth, this beautiful, real truth in the Bible is from the idea of God as a distant being? I have friends who are now followers of Jesus who grew up in a religious system that taught them, yes, that there is a Creator God who made all that we know. And yes, He is the God who, who has laws, has given laws. But it's up to us to follow those laws. And we hope, no one can know for sure, we hope that in the end we will be judged worthy of heaven. But they've come to realize that's not the case. That God is one that sent His Son for them and that they can call out, Abba, Father. He is not a distant God. His Spirit, His very Spirit is interceding for us. If we are comforted to know that a righteous man is praying for us, if we're comforted by the prayers of friends and family. How much more should we be comforted knowing that God's very Spirit is interceding for us? And He's interceding for us with perfect prayers. Listen to verse 27. And He who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. This language of He who searches hearts is all throughout the Old Testament. For example, for the Lord searches all hearts and understands every plan and thought. Or the Bible tells us that God knows the secrets of the heart. We could go to countless other places, but also before a word is on my tongue, behold, you know it all together. Now, the Bible's not making the point here that God searches the hearts of man. It's saying, if it's true, and it is true that He searches the hearts of man, how much more is it true that He knows the mind of the Spirit as the Spirit is interceding for us? And the Spirit is interceding for the Holy Ones according to the will of God. Perfect prayers. Listen to the hope in this. Our limitations, our limited knowledge of ourselves, of the world around us, of even what to pray for as we think about our life, those that limitations, they cannot thwart God's purpose. His very Spirit is praying for us. When we know that God's, God's working, we see His sovereign work in verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good 
for those who are called according to His purpose. This verse starts off, we know. This is something we can say with full confidence. Like I said before, we're in the tension between what we know and what we don't know. And this we can say, we know. All things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. How do we know that? Romans 8 tells us. Okay, but how does Paul know that when he writes it? How do we know that all things work together for good for those who love God? Because we are children of God. Because our identity is found in Jesus Christ. This is the language that the Apostle Paul used for us in the book of Romans. He says, you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, immersed in Christ Jesus. Listen, brother, sister, if you are in Christ, oh, I just said it. One of the clearest ways the Bible describes you as a Christian is in Christ. Your future is in Him. Your hope is in Him. Who you are now is in Him. You have a citizenship in heaven. Everything has changed because of Him. Let me ask you this. God who is fully in control, do all things work together for His good? You better believe it. It's been happening ever since the creation of the world. This is not hard for us to to think about. It can be stretching on the brain, but if God spoke the very world, world that we live in into existence by the power of His Word, all things are in His hands and they're working together for His good. And if you are in Christ, His good is your good. So when we pray, Lord, let Your will be done. Let Your kingdom come. Let Your name be honored. We're praying for our own good because our self is in Jesus. His Spirit is in us. He holds our future. Now there's a mystery in this, no doubt. It says all things work together for good. And all things would include all things. Even the the things that cause our heart to ache. Even the things that that bring tears. The, The phone call that shakes our world. The the news that breaks our heart, the acts of evil that are committed, all things are included in all things. But this is by no means a cold verse. You see the context, right? The context groanings. Creation is groaning for a future day. We're groaning for a future day. And God Himself is groaning. We find emotion within God. It's an emotional verse. It reminds me of another part of the Scripture we'll think about, especially this next month in the Christmas story. After we see a 
an act of horrific evil, these, these babies who've been slaughtered in the streets by Herod, the murderous Herod seeking to destroy the Messiah. We read this prophecy quoted from the Old Testament. A voice in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation. Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. It's grief. There's grief in the text and there's grief there because God Himself is grieving over it. We do not, this is not saying that all things are good. It's saying all things work together for good. We are not yet in the new heavens and the new earth. There's nothing in this text that I, I just read to you, this, this text about weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. There's no kind of a tone that says, Rachel, get over it. Just Rachel, stop crying. It's okay. Why? Because it's not okay. This world is not okay. You see it. But it's also not out of the hands of God. And there's incredible hope in that. People say, I don't understand how, I don't like the idea of a God who is fully in control and the existence of suffering and pain in the world. Well, whether we like something is not the key question. The question is whether it's true. And I think we should like this truth because it's beautiful because of where we're heading. But let me ask you this. What alternative do you have? Dualism? Forces of good and evil in a forever binary existence no victory ever that's purposeless it's despair atheism that is just the way life is life is nothing more than than physics and chemistry and and cause and effect with no sovereign and no purpose and no design over it Yet we experience grief and there's no purpose to that. Despair. But that's not the teaching of, of the Bible. That's not the truth of reality in God. The truth of reality of God is that there may be a mystery to it. We may not understand how things are going. There's so much we don't know. But God is sovereign and He knows and He has purpose. We know that all Things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose. And then these next two verses unfold His purpose. All of these, all of these teachings are, are relational. Talking about, he's talking about loving God in the context of adoption, Him being our Father. And this is what it says. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. This word foreknew is a relational word. 
comes literally just means before and know. He knew before. And knew, knowing in the Scripture is so often a relational word, much more than factual knowledge. Much more than just knowing stuff. Listen to uh, some of these verses. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What is that saying? Does God not know the way of the wicked? Of course, no, He does not in that sense. He knows everything about the wicked. He knows why they do what they do better than they even do. He knows their needs better than they do. But He says He knows the way of the righteous. It has to do with love. It has to do with relationship. It has to do with a forever relationship that's contrasted with the way of the wicked perishing. Or this one from Amos. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. What does that mean? That God doesn't know anything about the other people? No. No, you only have I known in relationship with. This is the same sense that Jesus uses when He says, um, depart from Me, I never knew you. And God knows the number of hairs on everybody's head. He knows quite well us all. But He knows His beloved ones. It's relational. Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him? For I have known him. Once again. Or this one. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. It reminds me of what my parents used to say if we asked, uh, where was I back then before of our, our existence? Um, it reminds me of my, my uh, maybe you say this to your kids, I say this to my kids too, but one time one of my kids pointed at our wedding photo and said, this was when, Mar- when daddy married mommy. And I was in mommy's belly. And we're, no, 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 we gotta correct this timeline, child. Alright? Back then, you were just a twinkle in your daddy's eye. That's what my mom used to say. That's what we say to our kids. A twinkle. There, there's, a, you, okay, it's a human analogy. Much less than what the Bible's saying here. But you get the idea. There's already love. This, this knowing and loving are very synonymous. You could translate this, whom He foreloved. There's a relational aspect to this. The next word we get to, it says, those, oh, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. This predestined word and pre-know for new, are very close in meaning. But the first is very relational and the second is, is to a point beforehand. It's, it's got a direction to it. It doesn't stand by itself. You Predestined, predestined to what? Predestined for what? We find it earlier, uh, Pastor Nate read from Ephesians, it says predestined for adoption as sons. That he pointed us to be children. 
And here in this verse, predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. Both situations talk about family. Has to do with comfort. This is very, very relational. Sometimes people will, will, will miss this in, in two different ways. Some people will think of the foreknowledge as they read this verse as only factual. Only God being aware of things. And it takes out the relational aspect that Paul is using here. Or others will say, uh, come to this passage, and, and, and they treat it more like, like the textbook in biology class. Like, oh, this is foreknowledge, da 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 da, da and, and predestination means this, da 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 da, or perhaps they like to debate about these things. And, and you get the point here is relational. That also takes away the relational power of what Paul is saying. He didn't give us these words, God didn't give us these words in noun categories, but as verbs. Those whom He foreknew, He also predestined. Predestined what? To be conformed to the image of His Son. I had uh, one of my international student friends last year ask a, a question that I had never... Uh, it's great. It's great to study the Bible with people who come from different backgrounds who haven't been exposed to it before. Because sometimes they ask the best questions that I've never thought to even ask. And this guy, he was a young man from China, said, I've got a question. If I become a, a Christian, if I become a Christ follower, it, would it be true to say that I'm still me? And I was like, hmm, that's a really good question. You've got on the banner of our church, Jesus changes beneath the logo. Jesus changes everything. Is it okay to say that you're still you after following Jesus? And in a certain sense, no. Right? If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away and new has come. But in a other very real sense, yes, you're still you. Right? Christianity does not teach that we, in our, we reach heaven, we will be somehow lose our individuality as uh, some religions in the world teach. And, and everything that makes us us is gone and we're absorbed into the One. No. What do we find in this verse? We find Jesus, the firstborn, the most preeminent, among many brothers. Do you see how, how beautiful this goes? You're still you, and you're a brother to Jesus. This is why in the, in the end times we find that there are people from every tribe and tongue and nation. Yes, you get to keep your ethnicity in heaven and it's all to the glory of God. You're still you, but you're a different you. You're conformed to the image of His Son and that's a better you. You're the you that God designed you to be with Jesus forever. And this adoption we say, Abba, Father, to actually be called the brother of Jesus? 
What higher privilege can there be? What beautiful, comforting truths. This is not an abstract verse. This is not something that's, that's encyclopedia-ish. This is beautiful and comforting and family and personal. How does He do it? We see in verse 30, those whom He predestined, He also called. And those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. This word called. Personal. It's like like with Lydia. This happened to you if you are in Jesus. Like Lydia, uh, your heart was open. He opened your heart. Or like it says of the Thessalonians, we know brothers loved by God that He has chosen you because our Gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. It is a personal call. And what I'm trying to get across is not that He called you personally as an individual, though that's true, but that it's a call that comes personally from Him. God is in action in these verses. God calls and He justifies. He justified. Now, is that personal? The justification before the throne of God? Is that a personal thing? Let me just ask you, what was the cost? By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh. He sent His Son to die for us Remember the, the, the prayer in the garden that I've already referenced? Father, if there be any other way, let this cup pass from Me. But not what I want, but what You want. Agonizing over paying for our sin so that we can be justified before Him. So that God can look at you and say, your sins have been taken care of. It is finished so that we can be given the righteousness that Jesus lived out for us day after day, minute after minute of His human life on this earth. Is justification personal? Absolutely. And then we get to glorified. Those whom He justified. These are the same ones that He foreknew He predestined. He called. He justified. He also glorified. This is a curious thing. We find the past tense word glorified. Yet, we know this is something we're longing towards. He's made a point of saying this. We're groaning towards. We're looking forward to that day. Well, this has to do with the Aspect. It's, it's as sure as the others. This is something that's so sure you can trust in. We don't have aspect much in the English language. I, I, have, uh, I speak Ukrainian. There they have aspect. If I were to say, I read a book, and I meant I read part of a book, I would say that in a completely different way than saying I read a book, completing it. 
It's a different aspect, different verb, right? This is, has to do with that. Just as sure as you were called, just as sure as you were justified, you can know that we'll be glorified. This is an obvious question. If we say that the Spirit Himself is praying for us, interceding for us, why am I the way I am? If God Himself in perfect prayers is praying for me, why do I experience what I experience? God knows what He's doing and it's heading towards an end. There will be a day of glory where the revealing of the sons of God will happen. There will be a day of glory that is to be revealed where we will be in the new heavens and the new earth. Where groanings will be no more. Where there will be peace and joy. We don't know. There's so much we don't know. But we know this. Everything will be okay. We are orphans no more. There will, this is cause for great comfort. Cause for great joy. This is not something abstract. This is not like being in a classroom hearing a topic. This is about our family. This is about our God. This is about our future. This is about our hope. We are orphans no more. Let's pray.